Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of To The Point Podcast. I'm Rachel Lyon, here as always with my my co-host, Eric Trexler. The one and only. How are you, Eric? You sound very serious today, Rachel. I'm, I'm well. I'm very I'm well. serious on a Friday. Well, you know, it's 2022. It's our first podcast of the year. I'm turning over it a is. new leaf. You know, I want I want to be very professional on the podcast. Right, right. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> we, uh, I, was, I was reading this morning, following up on our Richard Ford podcast on Log4J. Yeah. So yesterday, CISA, CISA, I'm never get that right. That's right, CISA. Yeah, <laughs> CISA made an announcement that most all the government major government agencies were patched and good for a log four J, and and then I read this morning that that uh, they have a list of affected software vendors and and products, and then I read this afternoon that a couple of uh, open source developers or developers came in and said, you know, hey, we've updated this on GitHub and made it user friendly, so you can actually use the list. And I'm like, yeah, Log4J is not going away anytime soon, even though we're cured, supposedly. Yeah. Anyway, a <laughs> little follow up from before the holidays. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, yeah, who do we have? Yeah, we have okay, so Noam, Noam McTall, who is the CEO and co-founder of Waycare Technologies, which is a subsidiary of Recore, has joined us. And I feel like this is the first time we've ever kind of broached the topic that he's about to to share with our listeners. Well, so, we talked about, we've talked about yeah. smart cities before. But this is different. Yeah, and Eric. why? Let's, and Noam, let's get Noam, Noam to tell explain us. why. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Noam. Thanks, guys. Happy to be here with you guys. So where would you like to start? I think... I think a lot of people would love to know a little bit more about Recore and kind of what, what you guys do, because it's a really fascinating sector. What you guys are doing. Yeah, it is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, and it's, it's emerging a lot in 2022, speaking of a new year, a uh, big focal point as part of the infrastructure bill that was just passed is going to be really oh, around yeah. revamping our entire infrastructure, which is not just mm -hmm. the physical infrastructure, like we think about the roads, but also a digital infrastructure. So uh, Recore is uh, in the intelligent infrastructure space and really thinking about how we bring about uh, both software and hardware solutions to, to bear with uh, advanced AI around using the data around us. And that includes both the data from the infrastructure, so the cameras, the sensors that are in these cities or, or state agencies, but more importantly, also broadening out into the vehicle side of things and the data that's coming from outside the infrastructure. So. We like to think about our vehicles as this uh, dumb piece of metal, but in reality, they're connected all around us, whether through our phones or through the vehicles themselves, providing immense amount of data that is extremely useful for understanding context on what's happening on the road, traffic safety, incident management. Uh, but all of that data has to be um, processed together and then used um, in conjunction with one another. So synthesizing the data, using artificial intelligence, and then providing a workflow and analytics platform for traffic management to these uh, cities in order to manage incidents better, in order to uh, uh, think about proactive traffic safety, congestion management, all of these things that cities have done traditionally only through the lens of their own infrastructure and typically on a kind of Excel sheet scenario-based modeling, moving them right. to the 
21st century, if you will, of how we think about uh, managing this complex system. Right. Bob would sit there and yeah. say, yeah, this should be a two lane highway and we'll make that one a one lane because Eric lives on that down that road. <laughs> yeah, I got you. So, yeah. so to give our, cust- our, our, our listeners, I should say, an example, I mean, one of your technology partnerships is Waze. So you get information mm-hmm. and you deliver information to Waze and Waze consumers, right? Yeah, so we, we have a strategic partnership, a long-standing strategic partnership with Waze where it's a two-way data feed. So they're sharing with us uh, anonymized raw data uh, around what's happening on the road, whether that's incidents or congestion. Uh, and we're using that as one data source of many along with our other data partners in our algorithms to be able to understand better what's happening and surface that up to the operators in the city to make better and faster decisions. So one of the things we're using it, for example, is for automated incident identification to be able to move away from this manual process, which exists today across the U.S. of waiting for a 911 call, at that point, starting response to an incident, you're talking about delayed response, you know, golden hour of getting someone to the hospital, more congestion for every minute of of a delay versus using AI to automate the identification of the incidents and being able to faster respond to that incident and all the benefits that come from that congestion, saving lives, et cetera. That's so, and, and then I think on the flip side is, is really what we do is we share that data back via API into ways and allow them to provide that information faster and more accurately. So they might redirect their, me off uh, a road users. where there's a traffic accident, yeah. which helps me, but also helps the local authorities and people who are dealing with that accident. Everybody wins. By keeping the yeah. congestion more so. Even more so, it could be that they're aware of the incident, but there's a road closure following our re- reaction to the incident Correct. that they're going to close two lanes. So being able right. to be aware of that, now they're going to make an uh, algorithm decision on their side and the routing and ETA that will be smarter based on that information. So Rachel, that helps yeah. everybody in the free world. And I think we can all relate and we have a relationship yes. with Waycare Technologies, except for you. Yeah, because <laughs> I don't use Waze, but... <laughs> I was listening to, I think it was last year, maybe you were doing an interview, uh, Noam, and you, I think you said a stat, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it, you had improved response time by like nine minutes or something like that, which I thought was incredible because literally every minute counts uh, in, in these kind of situations, yes? When I'm late and there's yeah, an there's- accident, every minute counts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, it, it's funny you say that because there's 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 follow-on derivative statistics from that. So yes, first of all, we've been able to show with our customers that we're able to identify incidents faster by nine minutes, up to nine minutes, which is dramatic, right? When you think about the very first thing in importance, I would say, is life and saving lives. Yes. I was so thinking my commute, a 45-minute commute, nine minutes either way is a benefit, <laughs> but go on. That's number, that's number two, Eric. Secondary, two. I know, I know. But, I'm always secondary. But, but the sec, the, the, well, actually, the secondary is what's called secondary crashes, which we don't think about as a kind of drivers. <gasps> yes. But one thing that happens often, you probably have experienced this, where there's an incident that occurs and right behind it starts to be an abrupt driving behavior because people are either slamming the brakes quickly, swerving, and, and that's creating accident. risk of a secondary. Yeah. And that happens very, very often. There's some estimates between 15 to 25% of the time very often when that occurs, depends on where it is on the road. So by responding quicker, you're reducing that crash of occurring a secondary again. And both of those together combine to what Eric is worried about, which is congestion. So for every Otherwise minute known as himself. That the road or lane is blocked, <laughs> for every minute that the road is blocked, there's some estimates that say you're creating eight minutes of congestion following that. And so the wow. faster you're able to reduce it, you're able to save 
you know, minutes and mis- minutes of congestion for the entire public that's coming behind mm-hmm. on that corridor. So the consumers appreciate, you're benefiting the consumers because they are being able to be rerouted or they can at least right. call somebody and say, I'm running late because of an accident, which I now know about. And they're safer because they know about an accident. So they know to take some precautions as they approach right. it. But you're also helping yep. the municipalities and the the first responders and everybody else because you are making it a safer, you're increasing awareness, maybe is the best way to put it, of, of something abnormal. Yeah. And, and I should mention there's two parts on, on what kind of record does here that's also important. One is the, the algorithms and identification. But that's like half of the picture. The second part of it is in the municipality side today, each agency has their own siloed system. So police will have their own environment. Traffic management will have their own systems. None of them talk to one another. And literally the way they interact today is either no interaction at all or through radio systems, uh, which have been around for hundreds of years. So one yeah. of the things we've been able to do as a cloud-based you know, infrastructural system is allow for these agencies to start collaborating. So as information is flowing into one system, it's quickly moving through the cloud to the other system. They're able to communicate back and forth which means that the police can respond faster. They can share information from the road back to traffic management so they can change the signals when they need to. Some of this stuff seems very intuitive intuitive to us from the private sector. But when we go to the government sector, things that can be intuitive aren't always intuitive. I, I was just telling a story to one of my, my employees today about the ability to call in air support, you know, in the army. And, and it's it's almost impossible because of the radios are different and the... Yeah, they're just different organizations. So that stovepipe nature is crazy. But but the first responders yep. aren't necessarily, I'm trying to think how I want to s- describe this, Noam. They're not really telling the city, generic example, we have a problem. What they're doing is they're updating their systems and the city's going and seeing there's a problem. I mean, it's not like they're making, on a radio, I'd be like, hey, Rachel, we've got a problem on I-270. Yeah. Right. But we're not doing that. What I'm doing is I'm reporting there's a problem on I-270. She's sharing that data in the same system and she's seeing it. So 30 different parties could see it. I don't have to call 30 yeah. parties. It's a it's a one to many mm. as opposed to it's a one to one relationship almost. Yeah. I update the master system everybody's using and everybody knows. Fair. Yeah. And yet, though, the, what you us. Uh, 80% Not really. Fair. OK. I mean, <laughs> so, so, so the 20 percent of that, the 20 percent of that is that it's not just coming from a central system that's seeing the information, but also we're enabling when there is identification from the field. So a good example is the service patrol. Uh, they're in charge of um, you know cleaning up the highways when there's someone stuck, getting them off, getting them some fuel, if they're stuck, towing them off the freeway. Um, what they typically have done across the US is they have these routes and they're patrolling them over 30 minutes. And when they pass, there's no like awareness of an incident. No one's calling in to say, hey, someone's on the side of the road. If it's not a fatal or injury, usually you're not going to get a call in. So they're just seeing people and stopping as they see them. What we've been able to do now is be able to be more proactive on identifying them rather than just doing their long 30-minute routes. So once they do identify the incident, they're reporting it back to the central system and they are creating a new alert. And so that's kind of – it's a two-way – uh, multi-way, I would say, information sharing that's happening between each agency and new information is coming in on each one. So you, you even have fire department involved. And again, stopping when this gets too much in the weeds, but we don't realize a lot of times that when there's what's called a hazmat event, anything that spills on the road, fire department gets involved. Yeah, And then wow. you have a whole orchestration of road closures wow. and things like that 
So they're adding more information right. into the system as well. So it's it, 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 each piece kind of adds on to the puzzle, if you will. And through your partners, you're one of the central collection and dissemination components. Yeah, so there's three pieces to it. One is the data aggregation and, and uh, synthesis right. of that. So that's multiple partners in an agnostic, data agnostic way. The second part of it is the algorithm side, the AI, where we're making sense of all this data and inferring out from that what's what's occurring based on traffic safety congestion. And then the third part of it is on the platform side is building that into very simple workflows for the operator to, to give them the so what, right? What does it mean that I, the algorithm alerted of an incident? What's the workflow now that you want to do on top of it? Okay. So, Rachel, we talk about AI a lot on the show and in the industry. We do. And I usually call yeah. BS on AI and cyber because I've yet to see any any significant material uh, uh, capabilities. I think it's fair to call it a marketing term. It's a, it's a nice marketing term, Eric. Well, everybody yeah. loves it. I mean, I know RSA was pushed <laughs> this year, but AI will be big there. But this is an example where we don't have a human redirecting traffic in ways or whatever. I mean- what? The system is making calculations based on, I'm assuming, hundreds or thousands of data points in real time to make the road safer, to get people where they want to go faster, you know, the redirection and, and the like, right? Yeah. I mean, to me, that's true yeah, AI. Right. There's, there's, a, there's a machine of yeah. some sort, a computer, essentially, making a determination. This road is closed. Take these four and go around it. Your 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 arrival time is increased by right. four minutes. It's also informing me. There's no human necessarily saying, tra you know, traffic accident ahead. Yeah. Well, the key to this is actually also, um, you know, kind of like what Churchill said: the history repeats itself. Is when you're using AI, you're using a lot of the historical data at a very granular level right. to understand what typically happens. And this is where AI excels, and it has a lot of places that it doesn't excel. But where it does excel is it's faster and smarter than the human brain in terms of learning repeatable processes at volume. Right. And so yes. it's able to take years and years of crash data, years and years of congestion data, train it the algorithm on that as the training set, and then you tie that in with real-time data, and in milliseconds it's able to identify how that reflects against the historical pattern and track whether that's an anomaly or not. And that's kind of where really the, the use of AI comes into play that benefits in terms of getting that nine minute faster identification. I love time. it. So if I'm in, if, if I'm a, uh, yeah. you know, I'm, I don't know, I'm in Ukraine, actually, they're our friends right now. I'm in another ex-Soviet <laughs> block country and I want to create disruption in, in the Washington DC area. And we'll go to Houston where Rachel is in Houston. How do I, how do I alter the data so that the AI is actually, creates an accident that isn't there or traffic conditions? And, and what are you doing to prevent that, that alteration, if you will? Mm. It's a really good question. I think what you what what it can what can and what can is happening in some extent in uh, some municipalities is that there's hacks that are happening to the signal system or that uh, ransomware of sorts. But it's actually easier to do and manipulate when the systems are binary or scenario based, meaning the legacy type of formatting, because right. there's less brains behind the decision point. So it's a, it's a binary single green, data feed, right? singles. Yeah. I, yep. I'm with, okay. And when, and when you change it, there's, there's very little way to track whether that change was the right one or not. Right. It can, it's on off switches versus when you're using AI, if you put the way you build the right safeguards to that 
is continuously monitor whether the data is within the trend of what the data should look like, right? Mm -hmm. So for example, if someone's manipulating a data set to say that there was an incident, but every other data source on our congestion feeds from the diversity of data source we're bringing in is showing us that there is no congestion there, even as it's coming through the algorithm algorithm that's uh, being trained on that data, it will say, okay, this one data point seems off from the rest of the data sets. And so think about almost like pieces of the puzzle, right? One piece doesn't give us the full picture, but if you have all the pieces together, then you'll know. Um, now, obviously, you have to build around that safeguards and everything. And you have to right. make sure, I think, to answer your question, really, one of the important things when you're building systems that have AI capabilities in that so they don't get taken advantage of is make sure you diversify your data sets. So you have multiple mm-hmm. types of similar data sets that you're able to right. compare one another so that you're not relying on one or the other as it's, you know, as it's manipulated that could um could flow into the outputs of the algorithms as well. So it's really the data, the, the diversity of the data, but also the scale, the, the amount of data you would have to co-opt essentially yeah. to falsify it. And the difficulty, because you've got that historical view, that would pr- right. make it really difficult to do. Yeah, let's let's put it in context, right? That's actually a good point as well, because um, right now within a traditional traffic management center within a city or state that we work with, We'll see about half a million data points per month, uh, data points being any like event of a congestion or incident. Uh, when we work with our connected vehicle, this is only from the infrastructure, meaning the sensors, the cameras, things that traditionally have been there. Once we start bringing in the connected vehicle data, uh, we're looking at about one in 10 vehicles on the road uh, today. in real time and okay. about uh, today and in real time about, you know, and, and growing every day. Uh, so we... Again, it's important not to confuse this with autonomous vehicles and, and how we think about connectivity right. there. Connectivity today from within the vehicles, almost everywhere, right? It's not a right. rocket science, just a, uh, a chip within the vehicle that allows you to be connected or even your smartphone in some cases. But my point is yeah. that when we look at that amount per, on a monthly basis, we're seeing about the uh, 2 billion data points per month coming in compared to 500 million. So. Um, half a million, sorry, half a million data points. So massive growth, which to your point, makes it a lot harder to manipulate 2 billion data points that are coming in real time. And if you manipulate one data point, that's not enough to affect the entire picture as you're using it uh, in a cumulative manner. So I'm going to play the adversary for a second here, Rachel. And this is a good news, bad news story for uh, Waycare Technologies, right? Instead of attacking Waycare in, in the systems on the back end, what I'd probably do is try to get into a vehicle autonomous driving system and and cause an accident or mm-hmm. something to create okay. disruption. It sounds like it's a lot easier. And no, I'm, yeah. I guess the benefit to your tech would be you'd be able to report on it quickly because you'd see that accident. But like it doesn't sound like there's an easy way to create disruption in the environment right. through you. It would actually be more more direct, right? You, you would want to turn the power off or impact a water right. processing, a, a water facility, yeah. uh, something like that instead. Well, I guess a way to put it is ReCore is uh, like a system of systems, right? So we're using multiple data points and operating as a right. system at a level above. You make a great point. One of the big risks, I think, as we move to a connected car environment is at the individual car level where you can hack it and manipulate it. It's much easier. Um, to I, I have a friend... I have a friend who's in a startup in this space, um, and one of the ways they would pitch to investors is actually have them get in their own Tesla, because of course every VC has partner has their Tesla, <laughs> and then they would hack they would hack the location of the Tesla and the navigation system, 
and have it make turns that it wasn't supposed to. Right. Um, so that's a very wow. real scenario that we're yeah. talking about. And it's one that, um, OEMs, the, the, the automobile companies are putting a lot of money towards trying to safeguard okay. it. Um, a lot of cybersecurity companies around that space as well. But you've got to, you've got to protect each and every individual car where your system, because of its scale and number of yeah. data sources and everything has inherent re- resiliency in it is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we have responsibility yeah. to both, but I think we're treating or focusing more on a missing piece in our mind, at least that the industry mm-hmm. hasn't talked about enough, which is sure. Let's advance and move forward on to connected and autonomous vehicles and it's one thing for the vehicle to be able to interact with the vehicle next to it or right. even the ones beside it within an intersection. Mm-hmm. But if you click, you know, zoom out three or four times, that vehicle has to interact in the space of a city of, you know, 12 million vehicles now right. that all have to be moving along in unison. Mm-hmm. And right now, the systems we have just aren't adept for that type of uh, uh, methodology of managing our yeah. transportation network. Yeah. Wow. Rachel, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about ransomware in the space. I do, but I I love autonomous cars. I have to say, I can't wait. I can't wait till I have an autonomous car. I just want to sit in the back, you know, maybe, maybe watch a movie. I don't know. Read. Don't you, know. You, you wouldn't need in yeah. a, ha- a house even if you, if the gas <laughs> is cheap enough or electric is cheap enough, yeah. you could just live Why and not? sleep in the car and drive around all the time. Have, have someone drive you around. Have the car drive exactly. you a new, cat- a new A new category for homeless people. <laughs> well, you know, we would be tracking the you the whole is- way, anonymously, of course. <laughs> oh, there's Rachel circling the beltway again. Yeah, you know, my dogs love going in the car, though, and sometimes I'm a little busy. So they that problem solved. They can hang out the front window and, and do their thing, go. and I'm in the back working. You could you even know, put them on the steering wheel and let the, the car drive you around and make it look like they're driving. <laughs> <laughs> Be hilarious. Yeah. Um, but, but yes, back to our favorite topic. I mean, in, anytime we're talking about data, right? I mean, especially kind of data of this magnitude, we, there's always the ransomware, you know, kind of uh, peaking up uh, in the world. And I, I think that it is kind of circling, right, in, in kind of uh, your world or becoming a, a more looming threat. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And, and last year showed us that. Um, I think there's two things that are really important to, to think about in that. One is that, you know, cloud in the government space, I'll, I'll talk specifically in the traffic side, has been this still in, um, in an evolution phase or, or kind of a newcomer, right? Developing or emerging technology. They're early adopters. Yeah, none of us really. politically correct, right? <laughs> sure. Let's call it that way. But. Um, well, actually, they're late. They're late adopters, but they they're like early in the adoption phase for government. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's a more correct way to put it. They're early in the adoption phase, and I think this actually means we have to accelerate. And the reason I think yes. it means we have to accelerate because, on one hand, the amount of data that I just referenced here, there is no way to do it on premise. The cost yeah. and the complexity would oh, mean that every city has to turn itself into AWS, which I don't think right. any of them have that desire or capability. But the flip side is if you are only emerging in the cloud technology, then you're more susceptible to the threats of ransomware because you have less, right. sa- less safeguards. Which, so, which we're seeing mm-hmm. across Even a, the landscape with cities, right. city and state governments, towns. I mean, it's, it's, they're heavily targeted. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so, so while, while you could hack, um, you know, uh, AWS or others, that's much harder to do, even though they're bigger because of all the right. safeguards that are in place. And, so one of the decisions we made early on in the startup life was to invest to um, 
put all the safeguards that, you know, the big companies would have, even though we yeah. were still early on. So whether that's SOC 2 compliance and all these different yeah. me- measures that we took, and that's really paid dividends, you know, as, as, as kind of ReCore uh, scaled yeah. up because we've been able to give our customers the, not just the comfort, but also the knowledge of how to build their cloud environment in a way that scales, but doing it safely. So it's something that I think this year has to happen much quicker because the threat is actually moving slowly on the adoption yeah. curve of these cloud solutions, puts them more at threat as they're less mature on the safeguards Absolutely. that they have in place. Let me, let me make sure I understand what you're saying. Their risk is going up because they're moving more slowly on the adoption side. Because they're on legacy systems. this way, right? It's like, um, it's like the risk of your four-year-old or five-year-old that's learning how to bike uh, on, a, on a bicycle, learning how to ride right. for him to fall off the bike. It's higher when he doesn't really know and he's just starting. Right. Even if he's going slower, I'm he's still going to fall versus when he's 10 years old and has been riding Absolutely. for several years. He can go blindfold. And that's kind of, I think, yeah. <laughs> that's the equivalent. And cloud is, I mean, cloud is tricky. I mean, it really is like an art form. I, I think, right? And you have to have the right talent to do it well. I think we've talked about that on the podcast, Eric. A, a number of times. I mean, you have yeah. to, it, it, it's, it's a new generation, a new way of thinking. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times you get some technology laggards that are definitely uh, uh, inhibiting the, the migration to and adoption of the cloud. Yeah. And even when they're there, I'll tell you, the, the best is probably what I see in the government. The cloud, you spin up resources when you need them and spin them down. In the government, the, what I what I mostly see, they spin up resources and then they spin up some more and then they spin up, but they never spin them down. Like they never, we're not using that. Just and and Amazon will keep billing you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So th- yeah, yeah no. they don't get it. It's <laughs> different mindset. The problem is yeah, you can't when you talk about the data from the connected vehicle side, it's not even a reality to do that because you're talking about such amounts of data. And we're from a, there's estimates looking at from an autonomous vehicle up to four terabytes of data. So if you take, you know, millions of vehicles vehicle? on the road, one vehicle, crazy? four oh, terabytes what period of, of time. Per day. That is, I think on a per day basis is the estimate on that. Because you have, <laughs> that, that's taking the, because think every vehicle has the LIDAR, video, sensors, massive yeah. amounts but of data they, that are expected they, to come. They don't have the communication infrastructure to get to, to, to deliver that, do they? No, they did. That's a great point. So what you need to do is actually disseminate the important information from okay. four terabytes. So even at the vehicle right. level, you have to be able to narrow it down to what matters, right. shoot it out to the cloud, but still massive amounts of data. And so what you need is to build processes for scale at the government side. Yeah. And you raised a good point. Like they don't have the skill set nor the budgets to do it yet, which is where I think, you know, the appropriate part of a third party like like a recor or other vendors in this space to really come in and work in partnership and that's that's a lot of what's missing here is kind of not just um not just selling just a solution but also education on how to build this environment that brings the government agencies forward in their cloud capabilities okay okay and and i i clearly see the need for it that way they can benefit from the data but they don't necessarily have to figure it all out on their own. I mean, imagine, I'm just thinking of some government customers. If they had to build a system like this from ground up, it would never get done. No, now, now fair to say some government agencies believe they can and they are taking it. Um, and time will tell whether that will happen or not. But most likely, if you were to look at the base facts, right, of the budgets they're able to put forward to it or the type of personnel they have, usually what you're going to need is some marriage of the private and public sector coming right. together. They have the know-how of how kind of running the municipalities and the systems, 
private sector is coming in with the technology. And so it's kind of working in unison, uh, in unison together to, to bring that forward. Okay. So and part of it, I should say, is the infrastructure as well. We haven't talked about right. that, but like one of the things that Recore is doing is bringing in the, the physical infrastructure as well. So computer vision at the edge with the cameras and using that data as part of their own data ingestion. That's their own data that they can use. Okay. Also a whole nother field that they're, that's wow. kind of new to a lot of these cities. So they have to be able to, to receive or do something with the data once you even pull it together. Like if yeah. they don't have systems yeah, linked in, like, so they know there's, there's traffic construction on this road at this, this point, but the rest of the, you know, other government entities in that region need to be able to receive that information and, and take it in and understand yes. what it's telling them. Right. There's traffic and construction. Right across the U.S. They, yeah. Right now across the U.S., I would say the base case is that they don't. You would right. be amazed right. at the lack of interoperability of systems and the analytics across this space. And I think I was, I was saying this earlier to you guys. I mean, it's the behind the curtains of uh, of everything we do on the road in the transportation space. We don't think about it, but it's going to rear its ugly head in the next you know, ten, you know five, 10 years if we don't do anything about it. Because as we move forward to more automated systems of connectivity and autonomous vehicles, we're going to rely on the infrastructure, not just physical, yes. but digital to make smart decisions for us. And yet we have smart cars on dumb roads. And so that kind of is going to yeah. come to bear uh, if we don't smart take uh, some bold dumb. action. Okay. I don't want it making decisions for me because you. I think you speed too, Eric. I mean, I can get Houston to Austin under two hours. It's amazing. But I, I don't. I don't want my smart car being told to go like you know the speed limit. Like I'm sure there will be that? a Rachel I'm, override. I'm getting worried. Speed limit plus twenty five. I'm sure that that feature will be there. I'm sure. That is a great though uh, stepping point to a question for you on on that optimization. Now let's say you do that trip, you know, ten times uh, a month. Right? She probably does. And and <laughs> and on on the rare occasion you do it at two a.m. when the road's empty. Uh, you can do it in two hours, but the other occasions you have traffic. Now, what if I told you, okay, you're not going to be able to go the speed that you wanted to at, you know, 90 miles per hour, but you'll go at, you know, 65, <laughs> but we're going to adjust the, all the speeds dynamically so that you're not stop and go and congestion is right. less by 20%. And it will actually reduce your arrival time by 15 minutes. I think you'd right? have a fight with Rachel and you'd have to prove it to it's her. She wouldn't believe it. She <laughs> would just want to go fast in the back right. of the vehicle so you, while sleeping. You would be skeptical until you actually arrive 15 minutes earlier, yeah. the first, the second, but, third but time. But that's a yeah. good and, point. If you can synchronize really and point. if we had those smart systems yes. leveraging the data, Everything would be faster. It's it's like that person Harmony, who's zigzagging right. in traffic, stop and go. Mm -hmm. The 50 cars behind him or her are massively disadvantaged because of that erratic behavior. Or the person driving too slow, though. Same I mean, that's problem. what we see on 290. It's called, I mean, it's called speed uh, harmonization. So, yes. Um, it, it's a, I it's, love this. You've, you've each experienced this, right? You're driving on the freeway and it's you're going at 70 and all of a sudden you go to 45 and you press the brake. Or 5. Right? Because something... Somebody's yes. texting and they yes. slam on the brakes and you almost hit them yes. because they weren't paying attention. Now, what happens? What happens? Oh. You press the brake, but your brain has a delay between your thought and pressing the brake. Well, Rachel the would give him a hand arm signal. Delay. But, okay, go on. <laughs> the Sorry, next no, person has the same delay. No, no worries. The next person has the same delay on braking and so forth mm. and so forth on million, you know, repetition of hundreds like of times. And yeah. you're adding cumulative minutes of congestion back and back and back and back. So if you're able to actually affect that, and build systems yeah. that are able to interact in together in harmony, 
you're able to remove all that congestion, right? Or at least harmonize it in a much better way. And that's right. kind of what I'm talking about here in terms of building smarter, uh, smarter systems. Yeah, I, I observed this firsthand. I was probably 18 the first time in the army. You, you know, a division level run, which is, I don't know, 15, 20,000 people. Now, a couple thousand are probably on sick call or busy or doing something else. So it's probably 15,000 people. But if you're in the front, you set the pace. But if your pace is erratic, the people in the back are either stopped in some cases or they're sprinting as fast as they can go to catch up because the farther back you are, the more that effect, That's, yeah. it, it ripples back and almost multiplies. Now, I'm sure you have the... Uh, the technical term for it, it's but it's not it's not synchronized, harmonized yeah. uh, running, and, and exact yeah. same thing yeah. happens on the road. Yeah, it builds. It's what we call the snake that builds out, right? Yes. It slowly builds yes. out, and there's a lot of ways that you time it. Uh, but it's a real thing, and as we get more vehicles on the road, and we're not going in the positive direction here of getting better utilization, right. so autonomous vehicles won't solve that actually because it doesn't make more people get in the same vehicle. And COVID doesn't help that either. Yeah. So single usage vehicle is going to continue going up and you're just going to get more of these delayed, you know, that's backing up and up and up and we're going to be stuck in traffic. So both on the safety front, but also on the congestion front, it's not enough. Even with this infrastructure bill, it puts forward, you know, billions and billions of dollars to building more roads and infrastructure. All that's great, but we can't build our way out of it. There's too much right. demand and, and we need vehicles on the we road. We have to go up yes. is what we have to do. Up. Up we where? We have to, yeah. up, up in the sky, I think she's talking about. It's time. Oh, it's time. Rachel, Rachel. If you ask Elon Musk, it's time to go <laughs> under the ground. Okay. So. so as we're wrapping up, I have a question that, that you kind of inspired here. Um, you were talking about the government not having the budgets, the capability in some cases to put the systems in place, the road systems. I'm assuming things like mm -hmm. harmonizing streetlights with the pace of traffic and things to make flow better and, and things like that. That's a government function, right? Yeah. Yeah. Let, let me, but to, to be accurate, they have the budgets, probably one of the biggest um, oh, misnomers is government budgets. Yeah. They have the biggest budgets in the world, bigger than uh, Apple, Google, and Tesla and all these companies right. combined because they have the most um, consistent stream of revenue in this planet, which is taxpayer dollars. Yeah. But the challenge is that they don't have the allocation on uh, things like data science and whatnot to do internally is what I'm saying. It has to be something that comes out from uh, the external partners that come in. Right. This infrastructure bill of 1.2 trillion actually gives them a massive boost to start revitalizing this. their time. That's exciting. Yeah, and, and, okay. and invest in it, right? It, it's, it's three times the amount that they've had in their budgets uh, over wow. the past. And so they have to spend in the next five years so we should expect to see some really big changes if we if we act correctly in our transportation network, hopefully for the better. Okay, so I'll modify the question slightly, but I think it still applies. So the governments have the budgets, they should have the capability, and, and the, the infrastructure bill is driving them in, in this direction in some fashion. Mm -hmm. right. Let's assume mm -hmm. they don't move fast enough or they, they spend it on, I don't know, ferries or something. Who cares? Something different, right? Do you think that that society may accommodate that anyway through, we were talking about ways at the beginning of the show, mm -hmm. right? I change my driving behavior. I can program in when I'm going to leave and ways today based on your data in part tells me that it's going to be an hour, 20 minute drive if I leave at 8 a.m. But if I leave at 6 a.m., it's a 35 minute drive. 
Love that. Government lately has lagged the uh, modernization on the IT side. Things like the cell phone and, you know, we're, I mean, consumers buy this tech and we just use it and we become more, more efficient. Could the same thing happen on traffic safety, roads, where, you know, the governments just don't move fast enough, but because of technology like this, you drive the benefit out regardless to the consumer, which still helps Rachel get from Houston to Austin faster? It's, it's a really great question because I think- yeah, but I don't know the at answer. At some level- <laughs> well, I guess only only someone that holds a crystal ball of the future will know the absolute answer. But, you know, my educated guess, I guess, would be um, if you think about what is required in that, what's what's the fundamentals in that question? So um, systems may be smart enough on their own on the private sector side to optimize their own route for themselves or even their own drivers. But let's say that road goes through a uh, your your drive now to optimize itself goes through a school zone where lots of kids are just going to school, and you know it creates a fifty percent risk of a crash that includes pedestrian, and one of them is going to be a kid. Okay. Now it, it's a fundamental question on do we believe at the macro that we need a regulator to manage a network right of our road systems and our cities and our communities, the role of city in general to manage our mm-hmm. you know general services, or is it you know, kind of a free for all where everyone is optimizing for themselves. Right. And there isn't this general uh, rulemaker or regulator. Which now, is what we have today, today for the most part. Yeah. Yes. Uh, today we have a regulator, right? Today we have, when, when you're, when you're on the road, you have a speed limit. If you right. go over that, you're going to get a ticket. Now the way it's orchestrated is kind of archaic, I guess is, is yeah. a good point to say, but yeah. If we don't have that in my mind, if we don't have some level of a regulator that thinks about the communal benefit of everyone, and maybe you get 5% less benefit, but you know everyone gets 20% together benefit on their road environment, then we're not going to actually reach full autonomy in my mind. Because what we're going to have is this hodgepodge of systems, each yeah. OEM choosing their own systems, each technology optimizing for its own services. And we, we see that a bit today, right? You see how that operates today and the challenges of it. And so we're going to have to build this smarter infrastructure. Yeah. I do agree with the risk, though, that government can sometimes move slower. And it only brings the importance of us kind of shifting that speed of technology adoption and penetration, which is why I'm excited about the opportunity, because I think the timing with this infrastructure bill gives these government agencies a lot of the leeway to do things from a technology side that they haven't been able to do in the last, you know, 10, 15 years. Okay. So what I heard you say is without government, we'll get marginally better for a period of time at least, but we need government to reach full optimization. Yeah. And the infrastructure bill provides them the capabilities to do that should they be able to. Yeah. It's as simple as this right now, autonomous vehicles are using uh, technology to computer vision to look at the road at the lane markings, the painting. Yeah. Right. Who's in charge of painting the lines? The cities, the governments, right. the Good states. Point. So unless they have a smarter system of doing that and regulating that, unless they upkeep that properly, the vehicle isn't going to know where it's going. So the, the, right. the intertwined nature of it is inseparable. Right, because if they paint different types of lines, the car systems were, which were designed for one type may be spoofed and not be able to recognize them. So there's that yin yeah. and yang there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think most okay. people don't realize how intertwined it really is. So Rachel, you'll be speeding for a little bit longer is what I've heard behind the wheel. 
At some yes. point, we think you'll be able to speed while you're sitting in the back seat reading a book or taking a nap or hanging with the dogs. Well, and probably by then, I probably shouldn't be driving. So that's, that would be really good if it worked out. It like would, that. but but it's going to take the it's it's going to take the infrastructure, you know, the the, the infrastructure bill and the cities and, yeah, and states and everybody absolutely. doing this and coming together with the data. Yeah. The, the utopia is, if you will, that we're smart enough to build out, just like we're thinking about our physical infrastructure, an entire digital ecosystem, infrastructure ecosystem, where all of our roadway systems are digitalized. So we have what's called the digital twin, and we're able to replicate our physical environment with the digital environment, turn it into data, which is using AI to optimize our network. And then we're moving on our roadway system in an in a optimal way both from a safety and, you know, travel time perspective. Boy, that seems so, that seems difficult. I take it back to security. A lot of organizations do, government especially, do physical security so well. Why? Because they've been mm -hmm. doing it for a hundred years and, and this is the way it works, yes. right? Fences, cameras, guards, the like. Right. When you take them into the IT space and they have to do cybersecurity and they're dealing with less tangibles, yeah. It really there there's a there's a chasm that doesn't get crossed many times. It's 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 yeah. just hard for people to tangibly understand that it's a different world, but it's the same type of you know, I can go in and steal a truckload of information or I can just yeah. keyboard in and steal a a, a warehouse full of information. Well, Which one's easier? In the military, uh, I, I was in the military I learned uh, that that rules are written with blood. They say, and um, I think in a similar way, governments will probably learn the hard way, right? Which is um, once some of these threats do become real, I think uh, the good news is for the cybersecurity industry is that there's going to be massive demand from the public sector side to build in some of these systems that have already built, starting to be built in the banking system, financial systems. Right. Yeah. So that's going to come soon as well. I hope so. That's exciting. I hope so. I was yeah. engaged in, a, uh, in, an, in an effort with a manufacturer at one point. Um, and, and, you know, it was a couple pennies to put some additional security into their devices. Devices were not that intelligent, by the way. They were like washing machine type yeah. concept devices and it just wasn't worth it. So I, I hope so. I hope we do see that there's a benefit to better protecting things in the future, yeah. our assets. And Me too. I think what's like secure by design, right? I mean, if you're getting a chance to kind of build something newish, Kind of like what you guys were doing, thinking about it at the beginning versus trying to bolt on at the end. Much better. A lot of, a lot of goodness there. A lot of goodness. Yes. And a, and a Tesla is a little different, more dangerous than a washing machine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. Especially with Rachel on too is <laughs> hardware versus software too. So hardware right. is going to be a lot harder to, uh, you know, no pun intended there, to modify as the penetration happens. So when someone fixed, finds out a way to hack the hardware systems, it's harder versus software. Yeah. Yes, you can hack it, but you can also modify can it, fix it and yeah. build, right. build, fix it and yeah. build patches. So it's, it's going to be a really interesting, you know, next three, four years in this industry. Cause I think yeah. it's at a kind of tipping point, if you will. Yeah. I'm ex I mean, you're, you're right in the thick of it. I'm, I'm so excited for what you guys are doing. I would love to stay in touch because I just see this going all kinds of cool. Uh, yeah. You know, finally, finally, we get we get the infrastructure bill and, you know, like, let's go do this. And how do you figure it out? I don't know. You're, you're in an exciting space. No, I'm, I'm really excited. I just appreciate you making our Thank commutes faster it. and safer. Like, and I love the fact too. that smart people are working on that. <laughs>
Hey, I mean, this is a, uh, you know, people always tell me uh, it's such a big challenge, you know, why, why it's such a challenging industry. And, and I think uh, what I often will say is the biggest opportunities in the world are often masked by the biggest challenges. And so yeah, when I see exactly. a big challenge, it usually gives me a hint that there's a massive opportunity behind it. Yeah. Well, we, we wish you and your team at, at Recor a, a whole lot of luck. And Rachel, Absolutely. hopefully you'll be in the back seat driving away sometime safely. Oh, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Hopefully soon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. Okay, Rachel, you guys, taking uh, us home? Yeah. Podcast. I'm taking us home. Noam. So, Noam, thank you so much for joining us today. This was, I, I feel like I learned a lot too, which I love. And, and that's why I love security. Every day I learn something new. So, thank you for that. And, and to all of our amazing listeners, happy new year, happy 2022. It's going to be awesome. And you know, it's even more awesome is when you smash that subscription button and then you get a fresh episode in your email inbox every Tuesday. So until next time, stay safe. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts.